0: Hi friends, good day and welcome to the Bible Project daily podcast and the project is for us to work together through the entire Bible chapter by chapter verse by verse. Transforming lives one at a time by bringing people within the orbit of the gospel and making the study of the Bible, not just the reading of it, but the in-depth study of it part of the rhythm of our daily lives. And we're doing this together at whatever pace suits you and over however long it takes to do this. So I'm so thankful that you've decided to join me today. And if you're here for the first time, then why not just consider clicking on that subscribe button and then you'll never miss another single episode. And you're very welcome to just go back to the beginning and carry on at whatever pace that suits you. So please do hang on at the end of the podcast and I'll update you all on ways in which you can access other free teaching resources, even some more structured discipleship type courses, always free, always freely available, always copyright free and in the public domain. So with that all said, we'll pick up where we left off yesterday. Okay, friends, we're picking up right at the back end of Matthew chapter 16 today, and then bridging over and going deep into the text in verse 17 and looking at this amazing passage of scripture called the Transfiguration. But I just need to bring your attention to something rather unusual. Because by way of introduction, I just want to ask a question that was asked of me, which is, was Jesus mistaken in what he says in this tale verse of chapter 28? Now, I very often get a question or a comment comes through after I've preached in a church or even, indeed, sometimes after I've done this podcast. After I've given a podcast message, sometimes people do reach out on social media and sometimes show their appreciation. And sometimes just ask a question but this week something unusual happened someone asked me a question before I actually even preached on 16 verse 28 so they asked me a question some weeks ago about a message I haven't even given yet someone reached out and asked for an explanation of the next verse Now if you were with me yesterday you'll have noticed I stopped yesterday's message at verse 27 at the verse before the last verse at the end of chapter 16 and it is the next verse that prompted the question did Jesus get it wrong here? So I'll just read that final verse for you of chapter 16 verse 28 where Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what do you think it means when he says that there are some standing here that are not going to taste death until they see his kingdom? Because that doesn't appear to happen, does it? I mean, all the apostles who had heard him on this occasion, they will all be seen to die and he still will not have come back yet and even so to this day. So the question that we need to ask and that was asked of me is what's going on here? Was Jesus mistaken? I want you to know that this is a bit of a quandary for some people when they come to approaching this passage. As a matter of fact, it's not the only problem with this passage. So what I'm just going to do, I'm going to carry on reading the text of what we're covering today as we bridge the two chapters, and then we'll come back as usual and examine it verse by verse over the next, I think it'll take us two days actually to do this passage. So having read 1628 where he said what he said about them not tasting death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It continues in the next chapter. Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to him talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and that they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the son of man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of john the baptist so there's a second problem right away in this passage in that the old testament namely in the book of malachi had predicted that elijah would come before the messiah came and one of the objections to jesus being the messiah amongst some jews at that time was that elijah had not yet come So therefore there was a problem, certainly a possible problem, to the scribes of Jesus' day. He could not, for some, be the Messiah based on this Old Testament passage. Now this is one of the two difficulties that I'd like to address as we move forward through these verses. So I'd like to isolate those problems and address them. And in the process, there's some other helpful evidences that are presented that prove Jesus is who he said he is. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, 28 and just look at it again. And as I pointed out, Jesus says to them that some of them standing there will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now within that verse, there is this little expression, taste death. Now that's obviously just a metaphor for dying. And Jesus is saying to them, you are going to see in some way the Son of Man coming in his kingdom before you die. That much is apparent. Now as I said a moment ago, they will all eventually die and Jesus will not have returned and come back yet. So how do you explain this verse? Now over the years there have been many and varied explanations of this. I've heard people say he was talking about the resurrection and they say these guys they saw him in the resurrection so that's the problem solved. Others say it's talking about the ascension Now I don't quite know how the ascension fits in here with the coming of the kingdom on earth but that's what some conclude and others say it's referring to Pentecost when we see the Holy Spirit that's another explanation and a further one is saying it's actually a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. Now I don't quite really understand how they make that fit and then of course there are others quite an increasing voice in these days who just say Jesus got this wrong he just made a mistake so that's the problem. What is the answer? How do you explain Matthew 16 verse 28 and Jesus did it wrong? Well I'd, I'd just like to say it I am fully convinced by the argument among those who believe that the answer begins with understanding that there's no chapter break in the original text. It then becomes very simple and straightforward. For us today, when we approach this passage, it appears that chapter 16 ends and then chapter 17 begins. And that, of course, plants in our mind the idea that this is a whole new discussion and a new series of events that are taking place. And I think that that's unfortunate on this occasion. Now, as you've heard me say before, the chapter breaks in the Bible were not put there originally. They were put in there, well, actually over a thousand years later. The New Testament process began around 1222 by someone called Archbishop Stephen Langton, and the Old Testament, that was done even later by a Jewish rabbi around 1448. And in fact, although the chapter breaks were put in, the creating of the verses wasn't completed in both the Old and the New Testament to around about 1555. So these chapters and verses were added years and years later and they were added by man, not God. Now overall I think the chapter and the verse breaks and divisions have been helpful particularly to the modern mind but we've got to recognise that they have their limitations. As a matter of fact, one professor writing on the, interpreting the Bible said this and I quote, chapter divisions sometimes artificially obscure the continuity of thought contained in the passage, end of quote. And I believe that that is absolutely right on occasion. There are some on the extremes who say the chapter breaks were put in by the devil. But I think that is completely an overreaction. But I do agree that the chapter breaks sometimes obscure what's going on instead of adding clarity, which I'm sure was the motivation of the people who did it. For example, probably the most criticised one is the chapter break between Romans 6 and 7. And it is is often quoted as being at least unhelpful, if not worse than that. But I do agree that there are many times chapter breaks come at a time where they actually create a division in the mind of the reader which can sometimes obscure the plain truth, hide the plain meaning. And I think that is the case in point here. And many theologians recently who approach these texts in the original form, in the original language, tend to have that view. You see, if you read chapter 16, verse 28 and stop, then there does appear to be a problem. But if you just keep reading straight through into chapter 17 and beyond, then I think things do become clearer. So let's do that now. I think I'll just go back and read 1628 again. And then read straight into it. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Then after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Now, Matthew marks out the fact that what he's about to say is six days after what he just said, so he's he's already clearly linking these two passages together one is a bridge into the other so on one level that seems an appropriate place to put a chapter break it does create a bit of a chasm in the line of thought and thinking. Matthew goes then on to say that Jesus took Peter and James and John and he leads them up a high mountain and then this amazing thing takes place. Now this is a very famous passage and it's commonly referred to as the transfiguration. So Jesus takes them up on a high mountain and he is literally transfigured before them. Matthew tries to describe what happens in pictorial language, and he says that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. In other words, there's a real radiance about his entire person. So what's going on here? Well, very simply, Jesus is seen to be transformed from being a mere mortal to the glory of of his deity, the glory of his Godhead. And the key is he is in his glorified state here. And it was for a time in this glorified state, not a human state, where he meets with these other great figures from Old Testament history. What is being described here is clearly a supernatural event, one where Jesus is transformed before their very eyes. Now, notice that one of the three Guys who are present here, one of the three disciples mentioned here is the one called John. And this, of course, is the John who will later write a book we call the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he comments on this experience and adds something. And he says in John chapter 1, verse 14, in that amazing opening, he reminds people that he beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. So here in this event called the transfiguration, Jesus has been transformed into glory. So what clearly we can see is that what he meant back in the tail end of chapter 16 and verse 28 in the previous verse is that they would see the manifestation of his glory, that the way in which he would appear when he comes fully in his kingdom. So the fulfillment of Of Matthew 16 28 is this event six days later the transfiguration clearly these passages are linked together closely together now I'm going to come back to that in a moment but I want to move through the passage a little more first and point out that there are some other profound and great truths here that we mustn't overlook and there are also some rather intriguing extra insights So as a first example let's read on in verse 3 and it tells us that behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now wouldn't you have liked to have been privy to that conversation? Imagine Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus and the three of them having a conversation. So what did they talk about? Well Matthew here doesn't tell us. However look does give us information when he records the event he says they were talking about jesus's death now isn't that interesting because this chapter began with them saying now six days after and the six days after was six days after the conversation that jesus has had with peter and his disciples saying that he would soon be going to jerusalem and that he would going to suffer there and that he was going to be killed there Now you may remember that they all at that point thought that Jesus, yes, he was the Messiah, but that he was coming to set up the kingdom. And they seemed to pass over most of the references to the Old Testament to the fact that the Messiah would die. That seemed to fly above their heads. So just a few verses back, Jesus was trying to impress upon them that he was in fact going to die. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to come back and set up the kingdom later. He's just giving them a confirmation that he's going to die first, and that amazing event would in fact occur later. Now, Peter was the first to get a glimpse of this, to partly understand it, but his purpose then was to try and press upon them that, look, I'm going to die. And now here, it is seen just a few days later, he's up on the mountainside, and who appears with him in a translated transformed state but Moses and Elijah, which demonstrates the fact that they're meeting together and talking together about his death. It's demonstrating that this death of Jesus is what the law and the prophets spoke about. So what is occurring here and what is going to occur is indeed the fulfillment of everything that has been revealed before. Hear me and hear me well. By seeing Jesus transfigured alongside Moses and the transfigured Elijah, they're all together, as we would say today, singing from the same hymn seat, testifying to the truth of the events to come. As an add-on, I can't read this passage without being reminded by the fact that Moses died and that Elijah was transfigured. And they both appear here in this Transfiguration event. And this reminds me, well, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, that we are citizens of heaven and one day we are going to receive a glorified body, just like the body of Jesus, Moses and Elijah on this day. So here is a little glimpse, a little foretaste of what that will be like. You may have your aches and pains today, friends, but just remember, one of these days you're going to get a new body and you're going to live A life not only free of sin but free of pain on every level and i think we can all say thank you for that but i think there's another observation worth making here as we read these verses a number of bible teachers have pointed out that it's interesting that specifically moses and elijah appear with jesus because they tie the fact is that that's also an illustration of what is perhaps going to happen when the rapture comes you see moses was seen to die and he ended up with the Lord. But Elijah, do you remember, he was translated, he was taken up straight up to heaven from the earth, what the Bible calls translated. And this reminds me that in the rapture, for some believers, they're going to die or will have died, and they will be called up to be with the Lord, and they will be raised again and called to be with the Lord again, and some are going to be taken straight to heaven like Elijah. So this is at some level an illustration of what is going to happen at the second coming or the rapture anyway, when some are already with the Lord and some are going to be directly taken to be with the Lord translated in an instant. Not surprisingly, perhaps, Peter gets all carried away and all caught up in the excitement in this verse. And we hear him say in verse 4, Then Peter answers them and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's that mean? So Peter's saying, this is great, Lord. Let's celebrate. Let's make a tabernacle. So Peter, he sees Moses, he sees Elijah, he sees Jesus, he's all caught up on what's going on and he says, stop a minute, stop everything, this is amazing, let's just stay right here and let's in some way mark this amazing event. Have you ever had that experience where something felt so special, so unique, you were so wrapped up in what was occurring, you almost felt that you just wanted to freeze time and how that moment and have a celebration to mark that occasion. And in a sense, isn't what that do every time when we have a birthday party for someone that we love? So what Peter's doing here, he's saying, look, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. This is incredible. Let's build a tabernacle. Let's stay here. I think I can appreciate why he felt that way. I felt it myself on occasion where something really special is happening. Peter absolutely gets caught up in the moment and says, This is wonderful. Let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a memorial. Let's institutionalize this and let's just stay here in this place, in this moment. We'll build one for you, Jesus. We'll build one for Moses and we'll build one for Elijah. And let's mark this moment forever. Now, on human level, I can understand this, but I also think that this points out that in many ways, Peter still yet didn't fully get the situation. Some might say he was still missing the whole thing, the main thing. And that's what's really going on here. Jesus, Moses and Elijah are together talking about his death. And Peter still doesn't quite comprehend that he wants to mark this moment as a a time of celebration. And it is at this point the story takes another fascinating turn as something amazing happens. And the Bible tells us in the next verse. I'll just read those next two verses for you. While he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were greatly afraid. So that's their reaction. The voice of God comes in the heavens and confirms the reality of what this situation means and what has occurred here. And they react in this way. Well friends, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll look at that reaction and we'll try and explain what it means and what is revealed by it in the next episode. folks that's it for today hope you found that helpful like i said at the beginning if you're not a regular then why not click on the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll never miss another single episode and let me remind you that there's also links to other ways that you can connect to this ministry and access other free bible teaching resources by looking at the episode notes page on wherever it is you get your podcasts from if you're not seeing those episode links live in your podcast platform, then just know that this podcast is hosted on the thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com and on that place, those links will always be active and you'll be able to access discipleship courses and even a free transcript of each and every episode that I've done here. And all of these things are freely available for you to use in whatever way you want. Everything I produce is copyright free and freely available. So with that said, I do hope you're finding our time together helpful and encouraging and insightful. And I do hope that you will make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life as well. New episodes posted every week, Monday to Friday. So with that's all said. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you back here tomorrow, I trust, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.